and welcome to Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast. Uh, we've been Hellenizing other podcasts since January of 2009. And you guys don't have to worry, because uh, we haven't been alone in this. Uh, in fact, Zeus has come down to help sodomize and spread the Hellenization. That's right. Jupiter Capitoline. Capitoline? Jupiter Capitoline <laughs> has been sodomizing the shit out of... Uh, the Judaic nation. <laughs> right along Didn't quite with know us. where we were going with that one. I really know. That's how well All we right, planned so, for this. Yeah. How about we ignore what we just said and move right into iTunes? One of my favorites is A++ by L. Stoby. Great podcast. Skip the JW guest interview, but download the rest. You will be hooked. Three exclamation points. And that uh, stellar review yielded us one star. God damn, we work hard for our stars. What, what exactly sort of grade are you going to give us to get two stars? I mean, we've already got A++ here. I mean, what what the fuck? Did you forget how the star system works? <laughs> My sneaking suspicion is El Stoby is actually Mims Carter in disguise again. <laughs> you know, uh, Mims Carter has been devious like that in the past. We should rename it the El Stoby Skunk Dick of the Week Award. <laughs> Have you been Stobied this week? <laughs> uh, what else we got? All right. I like by Brave Walker. Still an incredible podcast. I have gone through most of the catalog and truly enjoy these guys. Great satire and spot-on observations. Admittedly, not a highbrow or academic show, but incredibly entertaining. Uh, to that, my question would be, what the fuck do you mean by still an incredible podcast? Yeah, what does that mean? We've been an incredible podcast, and we're still... I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. What, are you praying for our downfall? Are you back there with your little cheesy-ass gods that you're hiding in the closet, praying for us to go bad, which is why you added still? I guess yeah. these guys listen through the catalog, and they're like, well... It was good at the beginning. Uh, there was a big section in the middle there where Leighton talked a lot. Yeah. But you know yeah. what? Well, get, you know, give it another try. Yeah. You know, towards the end, Leighton stops talking, and <laughs> Charlie actually puts forth the research, so it gets better. <laughs> All right. Uh, this next one's probably my favorite. Uh, Love the discussion, but by Tybee Four. Great podcast, but they have yet to master talking into a microphone. One sounds like he is in a closet. And the other is near the mic. Uh, wh which is which? I don't know. Yeah, uh, what, what the fuck is the matter with you? You, you can't give names? Is it too difficult to type out a few more letters when you're going to throw out this, this hamstringing of a critique? Look, I've never been trained to talk into a microphone. My training's in philosophy. Yeah, yeah. My, my training's in electronics, and I may have built the canned microphone that me and Charlie use, but that's not any reason to talk to me. Yeah, that's right. We're not rich like the fucking Wiggly and Way. Yeah, maybe if our podkin loved us a little bit more and sent us the money to buy those fancy microphones. They have a fucking studio. Have you seen their website? They're in like a goddamn studio with those those uh, professional microphones that have the spit preventer stuff in front of it. Yeah, yeah I'm actually thinking we should start doing a Wiccan podcast and then love our podkin to death. Yeah, look, if you guys want to increase the quality of uh, our microphone usage, then why don't you just donate to the show? We will take the donation, ignore that it's for a microphone, and buy some Halloween shit. And 
Coming from Charlie, you know that's going to be true. So feel free to give at any time. I don't know what they're talking about. Are you the one in the closet? Am I too near the mic? Um, well, I'm not too sure you're the one hiding in the closet. I'm just trying to hide in the wife. What? <laughs> What'd you say? Chester Molester is our guest for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Too near the mic, maybe? Uh, it must be me. I must be too near the mic. You just don't want to be in the closet. Yeah, I just, I just want to stay away from the closet. Uh, you know, I'm a little homophobic. Uh. All right, here, let me put in, let me put my um, little spit preventer here over the microphone. Uh, there. Yeah, he's there we go. microphone, but we all know what he means. There we go. Uh, I, I still don't know what she means about not using the mic. It seems like it's fairly routine, straightforward. Well, um. I think we should run away from reviews for a minute because I, I have a very important medical question that I, I need you to answer for me. Now, it, it takes a little backstory, so bear with me. We all know I get long-winded. At any rate, uh, fast and dirty, I was in the electronics lab, and uh, the teacher was up there instructing, you know, babbling away, and this pretty girl was walking down the hall that I knew, and she gets this big-ass grin and starts waving at me, so... I wave her to come into the classroom, and she, of course, bursts past the teacher who's glaring at her, and she runs up, kneels between my legs, and asks me what I wanted. To which, of course, I responded, well, nothing. I just wanted to make you come in here. And uh, then she pretty much I, fled the room in complete First of all, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, we are talking about me, and judging from the pictures that were put up today, I, I can imagine that being true. Second of all... Is there a medical question in there somewhere? Hey, keep your panties on, big boy. It's coming. <laughs> so at any rate, she flees the room, completely embarrassed, to calls from the guys around me going, damn, I wish I could get a woman to kneel between my legs on command. So what happens is, is later on, I run across her in, uh, in the computer lab, and there's a guy kind of hovering around her. So I walk up, and she tries to convince me I'm a dick, and I try to convince her I'm really an ass. And then I point out that if she's ever going to kneel between my legs again, that she should put her hands on my knees. And that's when the guy standing behind her got involved and pointed out, you do realize that I'm her ex-boyfriend and that uh, if you, you know, sleep with her. You know when people say, to make a long story short, <laughs> we are way beyond that point. Yeah, well, I, I could make it a lot longer. There's details I'm skipping. <laughs> oh my God, I find that hard to believe as well. Would you fucking shut up so I can get to my medical question? It's like two sentences away. All right, let's hear it. All right, all right. So basically, he points out, you do realize I'm her ex-boyfriend and that if you have sex with her, you have to deal with anybody she's had sex with. So I asked him if he was referring to the, you know, you have sex with somebody, seven years of partners sort of thing. He responds by saying yes, and my conclusion was, so you're telling me, that if I bend her over the table right now and fuck her hard, that it's really you I'm bending over the table. Now, Charlie, I want to know if my diagnosis is medically correct. <laughs> that, was, that was your medical question? That's my medical question. <laughs> if I bend her over the table, is it really him I'm bending over the table? All right, my medical answer is, use a fucking condom. <laughs> Well, that, that's not quite uh, what I was looking for, but how about we move on to an irreligiosity first and an announcement. 
Apparently, ladies, you don't have to put up with a dick or an ass like me. You can find a guy out there who will propose to you on New Year's Eve in France, of all places. Uh, I'd just like to congratulate Chloe on her engagement. What the fuck are you doing to our show? Well, I don't think you've realized it yet, but I'm doing my goddamn damnedest to take up as much time so you get all pissed off when you run out of time for your research. Because the last episode when you did that just wasn't enough. I thought you would have realized by now there's there's no prettier sound to me than my own voice. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, Chloe. What the fuck are we talking about Chloe for again? She's one of our oldest fans. Are you telling me we can't take two seconds out of our day to wish one of our most faithful fans a good time in her, her, her engagement? Did she pay us for this? Damn, I knew I should have asked for that up front. <laughs> well, Chloe, I hope you have a good time. <laughs> good Lord, can we get to the skunk dicks? Uh, Yes, please. And I believe we should start with the Mormons. Now, the Mormons, uh, there's this guy who came out. uh, His name is William Monaghan. And uh, he was talking about wizards, werewolves, vampires, and ghosts. And apparently, it's all Satan worship. Yeah, you know, this... First of all, the picture of himself, he's a total goober. I mean, there's no other word to explain it. He's a goober. We all know that dude plays Dungeons and Dragons when nobody's looking. <laughs> well, no, I think he's such a goober. Even the nerds will not let him into their Dungeons and Dragons group. You Which know when you go in when you're towards it when you're like five years old and they say like the I'm sorry the game is locked. That's what happened to this guy when he tried to join in. <laughs> uh, let's well, listen to this shit. A world crazy for magic and divination will ultimately reject the majesty of the divine. While lovable vampires, werewolves, and the Harry Potter craze may be titillating broomstick fiction, their supernatural romps are anything but super. This guy, um, he got like some sort of mental deficiency where he's over-impressed with alliteration. Well, see, you the get problem the, is... You see how wise he is when he, when he compares magic and majesty? Yeah. Oh, and supernatural very... and super? Uh, the, the problem, I don't think, is really with him, because it's readily apparent to anybody that this guy is not only a goober, but a, a, a blooming idiot. The problem is with the people who allow him to put this up on Mormon times. Oh, this is exact. This is his resume for general conference speech. He, he has got such a boner to be on general conference. Yeah, oh, yeah. This please. is this is pretty much him begging for time here. Some years ago, I set apart a young man for full-time missionary service. Within two days of his arrival at the missionary training center, he had to be sent home. He was suffering withdrawal symptoms from an addiction to Dungeons and Dragons, a popular video game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First off, Charlie, uh, what would you give him, and at what dose to take care of that little addiction and its withdrawals? I can't believe the kid lasted a massive 48 hours. <laughs> oh, what did he seize? Jesus Where's Christ. Where's my dice? Just somebody put the <laughs> dice in my mouth. Just put the dice in my mouth. Sadly, some fans of the dark arts get sucked into the occult. All right, please fucking show me one example of this. 
One example yeah. where some dude was playing Dungeons and Dragons and he became a warlock. I just want one. <laughs> yeah, just suddenly gave up Christ and then became a warlock. They confuse mysticism with miracle and spiritualism with spiritual. Do you see? This guy's way over impressed with homonyms and, and homophones yeah. and, and alliteration. Jesus Christ. Yeah, well this this epitomizes just how dim witted this guy is. What was once reserved for drunken sailors and seedy dives is now mainstream. Like all things seedy, vampires and wizards operate best from the shadows. I don't know if I can imagine drunk sailors and seedy dives playing Dungeons and Dragons, but maybe I just don't have enough imagination. The age of Aquarius sought signs in birth dates and stars. These were anemic substitutes for the star of Bethlehem and the wondrous signs of Christ's birth. <laughs> listen, listen, uh, Elder Monahan. It's the exact same fucking thing, dipshit. There is no difference. Yes, there is magic and there is majesty. Mysticism is not miracle. Excuse me? <laughs> The sad byproduct of a world entranced by magic, vampires, and ghosts is the more we assault the senses, the less sensitive we become to holy sensations. I cannot tell you how many fucking church talks I've listened to that are exactly like this. They think they're so they're so genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, once again. Did you get it again? It... Assault the senses. Uh -huh. Sensitive sensations. Sensitive. The guy Sensation. is a fucking modern day Shakespeare. <laughs> Well, I, I would call him a modern-day Glenn Beck, but if you want to go all the way to Shakespeare, that's good enough for me. Uh, let's see. Let's go to... Um, this is a follow-up. I think this guy was a skunk dick uh, about a year ago. This is the guy, John Freshwater, who burned a cross into his kids' uh, his students' arms. He's a science teacher. Uh, yeah, yeah I think Vernon. we did talk about this guy. Well, finally, the lawsuit is over, and the independent referee recommended termination. I want to uh, read some of these grounds of termination and see if you agree with this, Leighton. You ready? Okay. I am ready. In 2003, Mr. Freshwater unsuccessfully petitioned the board to allow him to, quote, critically examine the evidence both for and against evolution. Despite the board's rejection of this proposal, Mr. Freshwater undertook the instruction of his 8th grade science students as if the suggested policy had been implemented. So he petitions, they say no, he does it anyway. Well, I don't know what the problem is. This sounds like every other high school in Utah. Mr. Oh. Freshwater's evidence against evolution was based in large part upon the Christian religious principles of creationism and intelligent design. Right, I like how they put evidence in quotes. There is no evidence against evolution. <laughs> All you have are, are was, naked assertions by dipshit Christians. Yeah. If there was evidence against evolution, then evolution would go away and a new theory would be put into place. Mr. Freshwater used motion pictures, expelled, no intelligence allowed, and videos, the watchmaker, to challenge evolution, which were based in large part upon the Christian religious principles of creationism and intelligent design. The, the fucker put used expelled in his goddamn science class. Yeah, well, the, the most telling thing about that is the no intelligence allowed. Mr. Freshwater taught his 8th grade students that homosexuality is a sin. Oh, that's a good uh, scientific topic. Yeah, yeah, where the fuck does that come up? Okay, kids, as you're cutting the heart out of the frog, remember, homosexuality is a sin. <laughs> now, <laughs> um... 
The most egregious example uh, wasn't in this article, but it was actually under direct examination. One of the uh, high, one of the eighth grade students testified that Freshwater spent a lot of time on evolution in his class. Under questioning, he said that Freshwater used a creationist video by Kent Hovind, who Freshwater introduced as a quote renowned scientist. <laughs> Forget about yes. firing this guy. Take him out back and shoot him. This renowned scientist currently resides at your local prison. He can be visited between the hours of 3 and 7. <laughs> He's now accepting sodomy between the hours of 3 and 7. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if, in addition to introducing him as a renowned scientist, that sentence should not, those words should not be spoken anywhere within 50 feet of Kent Hovind's name. Yeah. I wonder point, if he also gave him his current location in fucking federal prison. Yeah, yeah, at, at you know, bringing up Kent Hovind, he should have read the fucker's dissertation. That would have changed everybody's mind about evolution and intelligent design. All right, moving on. The freshwater's been fired, by the way. He's out. Yeah, about goddamn time. All right, let's let's move on to one that was sent in by our listeners called Army's Spiritual Fitness Test Angers Some Soldiers. Hmm, I wonder why that would be. Uh, basically, um, this is a statement taken right from it. Multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan have taken a toll on soldiers. Witness the rise in suicides and other stress-related disorders. A few years ago, the Army noticed that some soldiers fared better than others, and it wondered, why? Charlie, can you tell us why? Well, it's because a faith in Christ helps you battle these uh, stressors. That's why. Ding, ding, ding. Those who are inclined towards spirituality seem to be more resilient. Or they're so just chicken the shit. Yeah. They're just too chicken shit to do it. Yeah, if they right. really, really believed heaven was so great, then they'd jump in the line of fire, right? Praise God! Yeah. yeah. At least atheists have the balls to sit there and go, well, there's nothing after and this sucks anyway, so give me it. <laughs> We're... <laughs> We are pro-suicide on the show. <laughs> In fact, I have a suicide help hotline, which can be reached most nights. <laughs> oh, God. Um, this upset a foxhole atheist. Uh, says he grew angry as the uh, computerized survey asked him to rank himself on statements such as, I am a spiritual person. I believe that in some way my life is closely connected to all of humanity. I often find comfort in my religion and spiritual beliefs. Okay, what what if you have none? Yeah, right? well, well, if you have none, then once you finish the survey, the computer spits out, spiritual fitness may be an area of difficulty. Yeah, you may lack a sense of meaning and purpose in your life. At times, it is hard for you to make sense of what is happening to you and to others around you. You may not feel connected to something larger than yourself. You may question your beliefs, principles, and values. And the kicker, improving your spiritual fitness should be an important goal. Yeah, yeah. Then it gives him uh, basically a training module that it says, hey, you should try this. Apparently, they, they are forcing religion, and they get around the you know uh, constitutionality of it because they don't favor one religion or another. But apparently, in order to be a good, competent soldier, you have to be religious. There is no... A place in the military is what they're saying by this survey for an atheist soldier. Because, you know, if you're an atheist soldier, God, you got to work on it. You got to get some fucking religion. You got to sit down and pray and meditate. Yeah. Yeah, you really should. Now, now the, the real kicker 
is uh, how they uh, they really just defend this little thing. And it, this is what the statement is. There's no pass-fail. Nothing happens. No one sees it but the guy who takes it. Well, if that's the case, where are the results of this survey going? Don't Didn't he have to take a, a training module? He didn't have to. It wasn't required. He was required to take the survey. The training module was a suggestion. Here's here's how useful the training the spirituality training module is. So they're talking about the flag folding ceremony. For yeah. Christians, the narrator says, the twelfth fold quote represents an emblem of eternity and glorifies in their eyes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Tell me what the fuck folding a goddamn flag, especially the twelfth fold, has to do with glorifying God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Twelfth yeah, fold. Well, what about the it, third fold? That makes more sense. What I love is is the fact that they are pressing this. Now, I don't know how many out there have actually been in the military, but usually what happens with these voluntary surveys is your command suggests that you get it done by a certain date, and then as time goes by, if you haven't gotten it done by that date, the command begins to suggest a little harder that you take these surveys. So there's nothing in here that is voluntary. All right, so not surprisingly, the United States Armed Forces is uh, Skunk Dick of the Week, once again. <laughs> well, I'd just like to say thanks, Brigadier General Rhonda Cornum, for this. All right, so what's your vote? Uh, my vote would have to go towards the Mormons, once again, because uh, not only were they allowing this idiot to write it, but they were publishing it as if it was something worthwhile. All right, I'll go with the Mormon Dingleberry, who apparently is um, overly obsessed with uh, homophones or alliteration. <laughs> homophones or ho homophobes? Homophobes. <laughs> I think he's just a closet man himself. All right, let's uh, feed that into the computer. All right, I'm changing my vote to Justin Bieber, who actually won. <laughs> well, that's not fair, because you have the uh, the actual results right in front of you. I have to wait for you to tell me what they are. Justin Bieber sends his prayers to the victims of Australia's floods. Yeah, and his exact statement was, Just heard about the floods in Australia. To all the people out there, I send you my prayers. Well, thanks very much, Justin. I'm sure your prayers are going to do a lot of good when you could send millions of dollars from your, I don't know, salary? What do we call this shit? Earnings. Earnings? Yeah, why don't you do anything no, like that? Like no, say, no. Prayer, a prayer from Justin Bieber is worth $10 million. Yeah. One yeah, prayer. Well, God really listens to that little boy's high-pitched voice. I'm not even sure if that's a boy. I mean, I see no facial hair whatsoever. That kid is softer than a baby's butt. <laughs> I challenge you to find a single scar on that kid. I'm going by the name Justin. Justina? Is that what you said? Justin Bieber, who uh, uh, with a single prayer is going to solve all of Australia's uh, flooding problems. And the reason why he's a dick? Because he couldn't do... Even a little bit more like Shane Warren, Russell Crowe, or Danny Minogue, who not only put out there that they were hoping to help these people, but suggested that all of their fans actually donate $2 and actually giving out the information for it. 
Well, to be fair, Justin would have to tell his fans to pester their parents to donate the money. But, like I said, he didn't. He probably didn't even pray. He just fucking tweeted that he'd send his prayers and then never got around to it. Yeah. I, I, okay, I just really dislike this kid. <laughs> There's something deep within my bowels that just growls at this kid. All right. Um, when you're done growling, uh, let's get on to the actual meat of the podcast. Are you sure we can't find some other way to distract you? Uh, I don't know how much time you've already wasted, but it's long past due. (laughs) Well, I just wasn't really looking forward to you talking about Judaism again. Well, what I'd like to do is actually go over the intertestamental period, right? Between kind of the end of the Hebrew Bible and the beginning of the New Testament. Um, Because that, to me, was this massive blur when I was growing up. I had absolutely no idea what was going on between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. So I want to fill in that gap and actually go a little bit farther. So to provide a little bit of background, uh, you remember Alexander the Great? Well, of course. He uh, he became an Egyptian pharaoh and so on and so forth, wandered in the desert. Right. The, the most massive empire uh, that ever existed at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he died and his empire was split up amongst his four generals. The Ptolemies Ptolemies got Egypt, right? But at that part of the time, the Egyptian territory included Israel. Uh, The Seleucids got Syria, right? Mm -hmm. And the Seleucids and the Ptolemies never really liked each other. They were kind of battling constantly back and forth. Uh, Interestingly, you know, you'll hear a lot later on about how the Jews and the, the Greeks and the Romans never really uh, got along, right? Um, That's what you hear. But when the Ptolemies took over in 301, from 301 to 200 BCE, over 100 years, there were no clashes between the Jewish population and the imperial representatives or the pagan population. (laughs) Uh, Probably. The the Ptolemies ruled uh, Israel the same as they ruled Egypt. They essentially just squeezed it for taxes. That's all yeah. That's all they cared about. In fact, I can't remember the Ptolemies' name, but one of them they openly called Fat Bastard. <laughs> and I'm sure he didn't care as long as they paid their fucking taxes. Uh, I mean, that was all it took to make the Ptolemies happy. Well, beyond that, and being on the actual throne of Egypt, they were killing each other and sodomizing one each, each other over and over again. But they didn't care as long as they had money coming in. The Seleucid Empire took over in 200. They were a lot more interested in imposing Hellenism on the populace. Um, Antiochus III conquered Judea in 200 BCE. Um, initially, he was okay with, you know, even, I think, declared that, you know, we'll let you your law be the law of your fathers, right? You just pay taxes and tribute. But yeah. that changed fairly quickly. In 189 BCE, the Seleucid army suffered a humiliating defeat at the hands of the Romans. The resulting peace treaty forced the Seleucids to uh, surrender territory and pay reparations to the Roman Empire for the war. So what are they, they, they're looking across their empire, and what do they see? Temples, right? <laughs> you can go in there, raid a bunch of temples, and they, they were seen as sources of income. So um, the first open clash between the Jewish population and imperial representatives occurred when Seleucus IV, who is uh, Antiochus' successor, sent officers to sack the temple. The Jews didn't like that. The attempt actually failed, and and they kind of retreated on that one. You know, I've always noticed a recurring theme when it comes to theists. 
they may walk in and uh, and preach you know religious tolerance but when it comes down to it they'll tolerate you but sooner or later the theist is going to try and convert you to the true religion the pattern i've noticed is they talk a good talk uh but when you threaten their pocketbook all hell breaks loose hell has <laughs> no fury true. like a priest whose pocket is threatened <laughs> that's a very good point and it's not just priests any religious person you can watch their morals diminish when it comes to money right you can kick the shit out of the jews the jewish populace whatever sack the temple fuck you <laughs> i'm keeping my treasure yeah yeah do not take away the money from the theist period all right, Antiochus IV um, Epiphanes or Epiphanius succeeded um, Seleucus in 175 BCE. Now there are at this point in time Hellenizing Jews and uh, Judaizing Jews, so they they're, they want to resist the Hellenizing influence, right? But this Hellenizing influence very very uh, alluring, <laughs> very hard to resist. So uh, one of the Hellenizing Jews named Jason bribed this new Antiochus so he could replace his brother Onias as high priest and uh, uh, Antiochus IV said, fine, no problem. So he begins Hellenizing Jerusalem, right? Um, in 172, three years later, Menelaus replaces Jason uh, because of a, a bigger bribe. He's <laughs> a far more <laughs> radical Hellenizer. <laughs> Let's see. Theist and money. I'm starting to see the correlation here. This... This was especially offensive to the Jews because Menelaus was not even a Levite. <laughs> he wasn't even in the priestly tribe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell no. Oh, but Antiochus couldn't give a shit. Yeah. He's, meanwhile, um, invading Egypt, right? He's going to put these Ptolemies in their place. It's now 168 BCE. He invades Egypt. He reaches the gates of Alexandria. Uh, he is about to realize hundreds of years of Seleucid dreams by getting rid of the Ptolemaic Empire and uniting it under the Seleucid Empire, right? Yep. One problem, he's stopped by a Roman consul. Rome wants to keep the Hellenistic East divided between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. They're fighting against each other until Rome can turn their attention and kind of conquer them both, right? Well, of course. So the Roman consul tells Antiochus that he has no business there. Go home. Antiochus says, yeah, I'll think about it. The consul takes his little uh, stick of authority. He draws a circle in the sand around Antiochus and says, you'll think about it here. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic Rome, right? Yeah, see, this is why I love history and can't understand why nobody, or few people, I guess, outside do not understand the love that history has. I mean, this is better than television. Absolutely. He's telling the guy not to step out of that circle until he makes a decision. You don't make a fucking Roman consul wait for you. So he weighs his options, decides, I can't defeat the Roman Empire. He retreats. So this yeah. is this is again a stinging defeat for Antiochus. Very pissed off. Now, the Jews in Jerusalem hear that Antiochus' armies are retreating from Egypt. And the, the natural assumption is he's been defeated, right? Yep. So they revolt. <laughs> they depose Menelaus because <laughs> it's been pissing them off for four years that a non-Levite has been on the, you know, the Benai priest. Yeah. This 
you might as well just piss all over Antiochus at this point. He is fucking furious. <laughs> but his hands are still tied. He still can't do anything. He can't do anything to Egypt, but he can sure as hell put down the revolt in Judea. Yeah, which, once again, uh, I'm sure is written in some Jewish uh, lullaby somewhere about this battle that ensues. Oh, he uh, brought his full military force to bear, which has already been itching for a battle, right? And they couldn't do. So he sees them as a target to vent his wrath on. So he uh, destroys this revolt. Uh, He uh, goes further. He outlaws Jewish worship, including teaching, reading, and even owning the Torah. He outlaws circumcision. No Jewish holidays will be uh, uh, observed. And the final... (laughs) straw is that he sets up an altar to Zeus in the Jewish temple. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I can see some Jewish lullabies singing about this one already. No more Jewish sacrifices. No Sabbaths. No feasts. You can't cut the penises of your male children anymore. Yeah. You think that would be enough to drive anybody mad, but no. Then they put... No, it, it, it was Zeus that really pissed them off. <laughs> By this time, rebellion breaks out in the countryside, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's been uh, he's put down the rebellion in Jerusalem. <clears throat> this rebellion is led by the Hasmoneans. The leader of the Hasmoneans, named Mattathias, he's actually of the priestly tribe. His son is called Judah the Hammer, right? In in, in Hebrew. Uh, hammer means Maccabee, right? The the word for hammer in Hebrew is Maccabee. So there's yeah. actually only one Maccabee. It was Judah, but it kind of spread to the rest of them because they uh, they continued the revolt after Judah passed on. Yeah. yeah. So this, much more interesting than the movie The Jewish Hammer. Not so interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> they instigate this holy war, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mattathias' sons, uh, Mattathias didn't really last very long, but his sons, Judah, Jonathan, and Simon, begin this military campaign. Uh, Initially, didn't work out so well for the Jews. Uh, 1,000 Jewish men, women, and children were all killed by Seleucid troops because they refused to fight on the Sabbath, even in (laughs) self-defense. Well, there's a military advantage right there. Hey, boys, let's go away for six days on vacation. No... (laughs) Other Jews very quickly reasoned that they must fight when attacked, even if it's on the Sabbath. You think? You don't think God would have thought about that and gone, yeah, I'll let it slide just this once? (laughs) So, by the December of uh, 164 BCE, Jerusalem's taken by the rebels, the temple is rededicated. This instigates a holiday known as Hanukkah, or Hanukkah. Should I pronounce Uh, that correctly? Hanukkah? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. Perhaps we should go back to an iTunes review for this one. <laughs> Hanukkah means rededication. <laughs> um, Hanukkah is the only holiday, by the way, to be added to the Jewish calendar after their Bible was complete. And it's probably the most popular Jewish holiday. Um, yeah, as shown by Adam Sandler singing that pathetic song. The Hanukkah doesn't really have a whole lot of good uh, music uh, attached to it. But the, the miracle of uh, the lights occurs at this time. Hanukkah is supposed to be the festival of lights, right? They rededicate the temple, but they find they only have enough oil to last for one night. Yeah. But they want to yeah. they, they have it, like, for eight straight days. 
until they can make new oil, right? New consecrated I thought oil. it was seven days, but I guess eight may be right. Uh, so, miracle of miracles, this one day of oil lasts for eight days and nights. Yeah, and, and once again, as we were talking with Abby, this is a pretty pathetic miracle as compared to parting waters, fire coming down. Yeah, you know, you'd think maybe a pillar of fire come down and destroy all the Seleucids once they put, I don't know, Zeus on the fucking temple of the Holy of Holies. I, I would have been more impressed no. if God would have come down and installed electric lights. I would That would have just floored me right there. Yeah, God spent. He can only um, muster up a fucking oil miracle lasting longer than it typically does. Oh, I'll just wave my finger in that general direction. That'll keep the fire going. <laughs> so, in 161 BC, Judah the Hammer enters into a mutual non-aggression treaty with the Roman Republic. It's actually, the treaty itself is recorded in 1 Maccabees. It says stuff like, you know, if someone attacks the Jews, the, the Romans won't support them, and and uh, they'll actually defend the Jews. And if someone attacks the Romans, the Jews will support them with all their ships and swords and et cetera, et cetera. And you're thinking, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when that treaty was ratified in Rome. Yeah. Oh, thank God. We got the Jews on our side. Uh, the Jews on our, are on our back. I hear the hammer can really go to town. You fuck with us, you fuck with the Jews. <laughs> yeah, you fuck with us, it's hammer time. I can't. I was going to attack Rome, but now I can't because the Jews yeah. are allied with them. The Jews, woo! The people who their entire history is lamentations <laughs> about their slavery and getting put down. They're the ones that are coming up to call. Yay. <laughs> the last 400 years have gotten the shit kicked out of them by successive empires. <laughs> but don't worry, they're at our back. We're good. So, uh... In 142 BCE, I think the Seleucid Empire is going through kind of a civil war. King Demetrius II frees Judea from any payments, taxes, or debts to the Seleucid Empire. They are kind of officially uh, freed. In 141, there's this great assembly on the Temple Mount uh, where people agree to accept Simon, who's the last surviving Maccabean brother, and his children as their leaders and high priests until a new prophet shall arise. Now that's kind of an interesting... Um, phrase put into that contract probably because uh, we got the flip side now you got the Maccabees Simon who's of the priestly tribe but the king has to be from the Davidic tribe right yeah it's it's always very strange how they came up with these sorts of rules I can't even fathom it they're all in the Bible you can't have priests other than Levites you, you, and the yeah. king should be Davidic it should be a descendant of David all right um Things kind of go back and forth for a while until uh, Rome kind of gets tired of it and they, they conquer Judea. So they're no longer allies. Now Judea becomes a subject, a client state of Rome. The last two Hasmoneans, Hyrcanus II and Aristobulus, appeal to Rome to see who gets the office of high priest. Hyrcanus, who uh, I think is a less competent but more loyal to Rome of the two, yep. <laughs> serves as high priest, but... Uh, Judea kind of shrinks to a fraction of its former size. Well, see, the, the thing I'd like to point out there is it's not too surprising that there were two people fighting for this position because when you're in a priestly position, everything is handed to you, including wealth. Right. You're, you're in the most prominent and most visible position in uh, Judea In the society, now. yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, about a generation, about 40 years before this, uh, one of the Hasmoneans forcibly converted a province uh, to the south, I believe, Idumea, 
and the most prominent family in Idumea was Antipater's family, and uh, he was made procurator of Judea. His son Herod, Herod the Great, was installed as governor of Galilee. Now Damn Herod him for killing all those children. Herod uh, shows his colors pretty quickly. He brutally suppresses any perceived threat to his rule. Uh, Ezekiah, the zealot, he's um, <laughs> against any compromise with with Rome at all. Rises up and, and protests, and uh, he has no qualms. Herod has no qualms whatsoever about putting him and his fellow rebels to death. The Sanhedrin puts him on trial, and and Herod actually shows up, backed by Roman bodyguards. <laughs> <laughs> now, if anything, you gotta say that dude's got balls. He's like, oh, they're putting me on trial. Hey, Rome, let's go down and see it. Right. That's the, like going to your own funeral. That is just ballsy. The bodyguards actually drew their swords. The high priests uh, pretty much shit their pants, adjourned the trial, and uh, let him off. <laughs> you so know, again, I think that was the, a fair trial. <laughs> the great morality uh, shown by the, the priests, right? Yeah. So, um, in 40 BCE, Mattathias Antigonus, who's son of Aristobulus II, who was, uh, you know, kind of cast out when Rome took Hyrcanus, uh, he invaded conquered Judea with support of uh, the Parthians, who are Roman em- enemies. He sends his uncle, Hyrcanus II, to Babylon in chains. This is after he cuts off his ears, right, to make him ineligible for the high priest office. Why is that, Leighton? Why, why can't he be a high priest? Um, because you cannot go in if you have any deformed parts. Yeah, because God's a dick. Yeah, God's a dick, pretty much. This guy has his ears cut off of him because they know God's a dick and they yeah. can play God's game. Yeah, God hates handicapped people. Yeah, why does Fuck God those hate people. handicapped people so much? Guy gets What's his ears cut off. window lickers? <laughs> nope, can't go near my temple, fucker. <laughs> now, um, this guy's really popular with the Jewish populace and um, he's actually the first to use the menorah as a symbol of Judaism, has it stamped on the coins. So very, very briefly, the Jews are thinking, oh, hey, maybe, maybe <laughs> gonna, this isn't so bad. We're going to be like our own people again, right? We won't have to deal with Rome anymore. Well, it uh, doesn't last very long. Of course not. <laughs> in Three years later, in 37 BCE, Herod the Great finds refuge in Rome, befriends Mark Antony. Now, with Roman support, Herod invades and reconquers Judea, beheads Antigonus and is installed as king of Judea, right? Keep in mind, he's got no links to any historical Jewish monarchies. He's got no Hasmonean blood. He's not even of the priestly class. He's a fucking half-Jew convert of a couple generations. (laughs) It's supposed to be ten generations where they're not considered Jews, and now this foreign guy who converted a generation or two ago is now ruling over all of Judea. Do you think the Jews walked forward with the treaty saying, hey, look, Rome's going to come after you because, you know, they, they've got our back, we've got theirs? Yeah. <laughs> Herod's, Herod's an interesting guy because uh, he, he essentially kills everyone who even suspects of plotting against him, right? Yeah. yeah. He, well, he marries. He's, he's, he's very proactive. He marries a Hasmonean princess to sort of legitimize his rule. But I think as are killed, you know, a couple of years later, because he thinks uh, her and her sons plotting against him, they're both killed. Um, <laughs> in 31 BCE, Mark Antony is defeated at Actium. 
Herod travels to Rome because he's good friends with Mark Antony and tells Octavian now, who defeated him, I supported Antony because he was my friend. Antony lost. Now you are my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is a political genius. He is nothing if not practical, right? Octavian understands the world, basically. That's it. He understands the world. Octavian, who's later to become Augustus and and the first really de facto emperor of of Rome, he supports Herod um, because primarily, A, he's, he's very loyal to Rome, and B, he's able to maintain order, right? But he doesn't like him at all. Um, later, he was to say of Herod that it's it's better to be a pig of Herod than a son of Herod, right? Because he's Jew and he, he won't kill any pigs. <laughs> but he killed a bunch of his sons. Oh, God. So, 4 BCE, Herod's on his deathbed. By the way, five days before he dies, he kills like one of his remaining sons. <laughs> he executes him for plotting against his death. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the son was just going to get him a drink of water because at that point he's looking at him going, Herod's gone. <laughs> right, totally paranoid. Uh, son's probably thinking, hot damn. I may actually have a chance here. Yeah, uh, here I come. I've almost made it. <laughs> I survived. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, Herod orders 70 notable men to be rounded up and slain when he dies so that, as as a true ruler should, he would have conspicuous mourning on his death befitting a monarch. <laughs> if nothing else, he was grand. He did things on a larger scale than most people. All right, so um, uh, for the next 10 years, you know, uh, Herod's son Archelaus takes over. Is completely incompetent. To- tons of riots. There's all this pent-up frustration. At, at the uh, um, beginning of the Hasmonean rule, way back when, is when Josephus targets the first formation of Jewish sects. Before this, there really aren't any sects. After uh, the Hasmoneans install their monarchy, you have the first appearance of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, Josephus also speaks of the Essenes, which are about that time, right? The kind of early That's second almost- century. Right, the exact same time. So. And Josephus also mentions the fourth philosophy, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but there's all this pent-up frustration, uh, because if you had an uprising under Herod, he would brutally put you down, right? Yeah, and his son's a pussy. His son's a, yeah, total total loser, um, or is not um, mean as his dad, right? He's not mean enough to put these things down. Well, he so, just didn't learn the hard knocks lesson. So Rome... Uh, removes him and says, you know, all right, we're going to have to actually make Judea a province of Rome, and we're going to have to actually directly govern. So they send Quirinius, uh, who's currently the governor of Syria. So they send him to Judea to govern, right? Mm -hmm. One of the first things he does is imposes a census. Now this makes sense, because he's going to have to directly tax these people, right? So we've got to know who the fuck he's going to tax. He's got to know how much is supposed to come in. Now, there were riots, on this census, right? Uh, yeah, what, Jews. Were they were the riots centering around Jesus' birth? Because that seems, makes sense. Seems like these Jews are constantly rioting about <laughs> something or another. Well, it, it's not that they're constantly rioting. It's just that they choose the absolute worst time to riot. <laughs> now, that is absolutely true. A hundred percent. We'll I mean, get into that later, too. Really? Who the fuck is their tactician, and why haven't they fired him yet? God. Now, remember, as you said, Quirinius is mentioned in Luke. 
as as the, this census is mentioned, supposedly a worldwide census. It was, and it was a census of Judea. Yeah. Uh, and people, of course, weren't sent to their ancestral homes. Yeah, because that uh, doesn't even make sense. Come on. No. No. But now you have Romans, right, in Judea, Roman soldiers going around house by house, asking questions, marking stuff down, writing shit down. Now you have people rising under the fourth philosophy, right? And this, uh, as opposed to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes, these are the zealots, right? These guys, no compromises, right? If if you don't rebel against Rome, A, you'll be a slave. Worse, you'll be supporting idolatry, right? These are the Westboro Baptists of their time. Right. This fourth philosophy, interestingly enough, begins in Galilee, uh, according to Josephus. Now, this probably is because... Uh, the, the Galilee's up in the north. The southern part of Judea is directly ruled by Quirinius. But remember, for a couple more generations, the northern part, Galilee, is still ruled by a client ruler. Mm-hmm. In this case, I believe, um, descendant of, of Herod still. This idea about idolatry isn't too far-fetched because you remember that Romans tended to deify their emperors after their death. Uh, Augustus ascends into heaven, right? Yeah, it's um, it's generally just an ongoing theme there. It's it's not that they are gods here on earth, but they are made godly due to their position. Right. As a matter of fact, if you declare your godhood too early, you end up being killed like Caligula. <laughs> they, they don't like that. Caligula was just misunderstood. Come on. All right, this fourth philosophy led later to the mass suicide at Masada. Remember, I think we talked to, to Abby about that. Yeah. Uh, since they'd rather die, right, than face subjugation by Rome. Anyway, from 6 to 41 of the Common Era, there are a series of governors sent um, to run the province of Judea from Rome. Um, Pilate, probably one of the worst offenders, um, succeeded in offending nearly everybody. Um, Philo well, of you Alexandria. You have to have a goal every time you get up. <laughs> Philo of Alexandria, Jewish historian, said that Pilate was given to every sort of crime, including executions without trial. Um, amazing how, you know, the character of Pilate originally is kind of a dick in the New Testament. <coughs> And then his character gets rehabilitated uh, until he's a fucking Catholic saint now. Because <laughs> apparently he accepted, you know, the, the Christian religion and converted him. Like, Fuck bullshit on that one. Yeah. Um, he, he introduced images uh, of the Roman emperor attached to military banners and shields. And he brought these around the temple even. And uh, the Jews threatened to revolt. And so they, they petitioned um, and protested. And uh, he said, well, I'm, I'll execute you, petitioners. Everyone who protests, I'll execute you. And the petitioners said, we'd rather die than see the laws of our ancestors violated in this manner. So <laughs> yeah. uh, the story is that they, all the Roman soldiers drew their swords and, and the uh, Jews fell down on their faces and stretched out their necks so they could be cut off. So Pilate apparently decided it would be too much work to kill all these Jews, so he relented and kind of shipped the images out. So he wouldn't be, you know, violating their law, rules. See, and I always wonder about stories like this. I mean, they've got them in in the Bible, they've got them in the Book of Mormon, so on and so forth. And I just wonder because I don't know if I was coming up on an enemy and he's like, "I love you so much. Here's my chest. I'd stab him." But again, it is a lot of work, and Judea can be kind of hot. Yeah, that's true. And then you, you got to talk about cleanup. You have to send your slaves out to clean right. up afterwards. So. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Galilee's still uh, ruled by Herod's offspring, right? Um, Herod's son, Antipas, uh, who had John the Baptist executed, right, around 29 of the Common Era. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Gospel Mark, his execution is portrayed as a result of, of John the Baptist's accusation that Antipas was uh, 
immoral because he, he married his brother's wife, right? Josephus says um, that the reason for John the Baptist's execution was that he was so eloquent that that uh, Herod Antipas saw him as a as a possible cause of unrest and rebellion, so that they'd raise up against him, right? And we were following John, and given the the history of the Herods, I'm going to go with Josephus on this one. Yeah, there there seems to be a history of mental issues in that family, so I'm going with Josephus. On yeah, this. A little bit of paranoia, right, about being overthrown. Yeah, especially paranoia when they see large groups of people gathering around one person. For a brief three-year span, 41 to 44, Judea was ruled by Agrippa, the grandson of Herod, um, and his Hasmonean wife. Um, this was a period of relative peace and prosperity. The, the Jews liked him. Uh, he had a Hasmonean kind of wife that he married, so everyone was happy until Agrippa died suddenly in 44, <laughs> three years <laughs> later. Between 44 and 66, Rome restores uh, the provincial governors, right? Situation rapidly deteriorates. Uh, these guys really don't give two shits about um, the Jews. They side with the um, Hellenized uh, groups every single time. They tend well, that's to... because the Jews have a track record of not exactly being the best to back. You you want a horse that actually does something. Yeah, well, they they don't like this. In 66, finally, uh, it, revolts erupt around the countryside. Messiahs are everywhere. Uh, there's this one guy called the Egyptian who commands 30,000, according to Josephus, 30,000 of his followers. Probably exaggerated who follow him to the Mount of Olives, uh, waiting for him to give a command that the walls of Jerusalem will fall. The Roman governor um, sends his troops, attacks the crowd, slaughters pretty much everyone. <laughs> you know, the, the most amazing thing about these stories written about Josephus and the Messiahs is, where is the mention of Christ? I mean, it, it's readily apparent there were all these Messiahs running rampant. So where was Christ in yeah. Josephus' writings? Every time Josephus mentions a Messiah, it's in a negative light every single time because the messiahs are anti-rome and again is what they are. right they're 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 questioning rome's authority to govern judea so in order to please his roman audience and his the people who are paying the the flavian emperors who are paying for this yeah um he has to mention them in a negative light yeah. uh, except for christ death to support the romans and you're telling me that uh that he would leave something like Christ out of his writings? He is one of the messiahs that Josephus was writing about. Uh, in 66, speaking of Josephus, hostilities uh, break out between the Jews and the Greeks, actually first in C Caesarea, and then widespread rebellion takes place all over the countryside. Rebels take over Jerusalem. One of the first things the rebels do is set the records at the archives on fire, so that no one knows who owes what to who. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, morals and money. Uh, so uh, Josephus is appointed general over Galilee, right? So here he is, 66 CE. This is 10 years after Paul. This is uh, uh, just a, less than a generation after Jesus. And apparently Josephus has no fucking clue about what happened just a generation ago with Jesus. Yeah. Yep, never heard of Jesus coming from his own hometown. So, uh, Josephus wages one single battle against Rome and is obliterated. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> Once captured. again, don't fuck with Rome. 
captured after his first battle. Um, there's this funny little story about he convinces everyone to commit suicide. They all draw straws, and he's the last one. And then he kind of goes over to Rome instead of killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, didn't he offer the last guy with him, and then the guy said no, if I'm not mistaken? I'm not sure if he killed him or if they both went over. Anyway, they dispatch the Roman governor to quell the rebellion. He's unsuccessful. He tries to retreat. It becomes a rout. Thousands of Roman soldiers die. But remember, Rome is Rome. They, they have soldiers to spare. Regroup. This time, these armies are led by a general named Vespasian. They send three full legions plus auxiliaries. This is 60,000 soldiers they're sending, right? Yeah. They're the not thing about Rome is they are tenacious. If they lose anything, they just send more armies. And they just try and try again. They are tenacious. So, Josephus, by the way is captured by Vespasian, who who decides not to go right for Jerusalem, the center of the revolt, but he tries to pacify the countryside first, right? So he hits Galilee first. Yep. Uh, so uh, Josephus, very, very politically savvy, says, you know, I'm going to make a prophecy that you're going to be the next emperor. And uh, <laughs> Vespasian says, interesting, I'll keep you around to help me translate and talk to the Jews. Yeah, well, everybody needs a brown noser. Yeah. In the year 67, so less than a year later, uh, he pacifies the Galilee. The populace of Jerusalem swells, right? As all these refugees flee the Roman armies and go into Jerusalem. <laughs> this does not help things in Jerusalem. There's like almost a civil war taking place. The, the leadership is fractured. It it's, gets bad news. In the year 68, Judea is conquered by Vespasian. I believe the only holdout at this point is the city of Jerusalem. Uh, unfortunately, Nero dies by suicide at this point. Vespasian shortly thereafter is named the new emperor. He returns to Rome, interrupting these hostilities for a little bit, but he sends his son Titus to finish up the job in Judea. So by the year 70 then, during Passover, Titus lays siege to Jerusalem, and by August the temple's taken, immediately destroyed. This is the end of the second temple period. Yeah. Uh, Once again, the Jews really need to plan their their times of revolt better. (laughs) In the year 73, it takes three years to kind of mop up the rest of it. The last vestiges of Jewish resistance fall when the fortress of Masada um, itself falls. And the last members of the fourth philosophy, the Zealots, the Sicarii, uh, 960 people commit suicide rather than be subject to Rome. Now, uh, two more revolts very quickly. The Jews aren't done yet. You've, you've totally destroyed their temple. <laughs> Yeah, you've destroyed us, you've routed us, you've sent us fleeing, but we're going to come back and teach you a lesson. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews uh, put to the sword, crucified. Very short memories. In the year 115, there's a revolt, not in Judea, but in the Jewish diaspora this time. Uh, Trajan is involved in, he's the emperor now, he's involved in a campaign against the uh, uprising in Mesopotamia. So the Jews take advantage of his absence to attack pagan temples. <laughs> so they're all, and you know, to be fair, they they've been, you know, their ass has been kicked by pagans for years, for some right? Time now. Yeah. now they're going to get them back. So in various cities of the diaspora, including Alexandria, um, Cyprus, uh, Roman armies called in to put down these disturbances. Um, casualties, apparently, you know, by contemporary sources, run into the hundreds of thousands. Is probably an exaggeration. Jewish communities at Alexandria and Cyprus were devastated. Jews were forbidden to set foot on the island of Cyprus. No <laughs> Jews in Cyprus. 
You know, I, I'd just like to point out that uh, it's funny that the Jews are going and sacking the pagan temples now, and it just goes to show you that that's exactly where the money is. That's where they're targeting. Right. That is no different than the pagans. Yeah. All right. Finally, the year 132. This is the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. This is the final stand of the Jews. The emperor yeah. now is Hadrian. He's a successor to Trajan. Hadrian's mostly a calm, tolerant guy, right? Where Trajan was involved in extending the, the Roman Empire and gaining new territory, uh, Hadrian pretty much worked to repair the cities that were damaged under Trajan's yep. campaigns. He, he um, did a lot to stop the, uh, the forward movement up in Great Britain, even built Hadrian's Wall to hold out the, uh, the hordes of the barbarians. So he was um, he was uh, mostly concerned with kind of stabilizing the empire, and he w- he was tolerant of, of viewpoints. And Judea is probably the single exception to this policy. Um, as a caveat, the knowledge of these events is pretty slim because there's no really good source on this. Unlike you know we got the Maccabees, first Josephus, Maccabees, we got Josephus, got all these guys. Our main source here is Cassius Dio, who's a Roman historian. Um, we have no Jewish sources for this. Uh, although, we, I, I, let me take that back. We, we've got some primary source. I think we actually have letters and coins from uh, Bar Kokhba from his, uh, when his rebel camp was overrun. Mm-hmm. Um, but not enough to get a conceited, straight story out of it. Right. We, we would like to have uh, you know reams and reams of documentation by Jews, but we don't. Keep in mind, at this point, a couple things. Rome's still seen as the evil empire empire in the eyes of the Jews, right? They're foreign rulers. They're subjugating the Holy Land. Um, the Messiah is still hoped for. He's still hopefully going to come, and he's seen as this military... He's not this pansy-ass uh, guy who allows himself to get crucified, wandering preacher. He's yeah, a military he's to, warrior. Yeah, where's his sword? Where's the fire of God behind him? Right, he's going to restore Judea's independence, throw off the conquerors, and regain their freedom. Remember also, we're now at the year 130, which represents 70, or the beginning of the seventh decade, following the destruction of the second temple. Rewind to the destruction of the first temple, which occurred in 586 BCE. The second temple was dedicated 70 years after in 516. So you're starting to get this sense that maybe we're going to throw off our captors and, and dedicate a, a third temple, right? <laughs> Yep, always working up to the wrong time to rebel. Also, uh, Hadrian's got some rebuilding projects in mind, and one of these rebuilding projects actually has to do with Jerusalem. Uh, He has a plan to build a temple to Jupiter in Jerusalem, possibly (laughs) even on the destroyed Temple Mount. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, you have the balls of the Romans out there for everybody to see. Right. (laughs) That, That may be mildly inflammatory to the Jews. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, everyone kind of uh, comes around this figure of Simon, whose his name is Simon Bar Kosiba. He was dubbed Bar Kokhba later, which uh, meant uh, son of a star, right? Which is a clear le- reference to the messianic imagery of David. Yeah, which so, is rampant throughout that time frame. Clearly, he's trading on these messianic hopes, and he raises an army. Um, interestingly enough, some coins also list a priest, Elizar, in addition to Bar Kokhba. Um, and you remember the Dead Sea Scrolls about two messiahs, a priestly messiah from the Levites and no, a that's true. kingly messiah from the from the Davidic tribe? 
That's so, a very good point. I've never made that connection, but that may be exactly what he did to get everybody to stand behind him. Right. This may be kind of closing the loop that the Hasmoneans didn't. So you might have two messiahs here. Um, again, I'd love to get some primary sources. but Fly on the wall um, there, too. This war was devastating. It was devastating for Rome and Judea alike. Uh, Cassius Dio, the Roman historian, put the Jewish casualties... Uh, at over 500,000. That's that is certainly certainly an exaggeration. But even the rabbis themselves uh, put the number um, at more than in the first Jewish revolt of 66 to 70 where, you know, all essentially all of Jerusalem was destroyed <laughs> was just obliterated. So, at that point, the Jews were thinking, "Hmm, where's our next Messiah to back? Where do we have any males? <laughs> any males left?" <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Are there any males under the age of 73? (laughs) So, Cassius Dio also said, however, so many Romans died uh, in the war that Hadrian had to omit the standard reassurance that he gives to the Roman Senate, like the State of the Union address, where he Mm -hmm. says, I and the lesions are in health. He doesn't say that this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he let that one slide. Massive, massive toll. Bad timing, though, uh, for the Jews on this one because Hadrian wasn't expanding any campaigns. They weren't fighting any border wars. He had Once the entire... Again, fire your goddamn tactician. <laughs> he had the entire fucking Roman army to just to bring to bear. Yeah, the Roman army was at the borders just kind of patrolling and making sure that nobody encroached on Rome, and you choose to attack at this point? So, yeah, brilliant. So during the war, Hadrian banned any public prayer for Jews, any public study of the Torah, does this sound familiar? No circumcision, no ordination of rabbis. Um, And after the war, again, it's very unusual for Hadrian. After the war, um, Hadrian kicks out the Jews from Jerusalem. They're only allowed to come in the city one day a year, so they could come in and cry about the destruction of the two temples and the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt. <laughs> well, you, you got to say the the Jews did piss in his Cheerios. Here he was all about just building and you know peace, and then the Jews are the ones that started it. I mean, it's like a bully out there going, "Hey," and then him taking them down. Well, uh, he did carry out his plans to convert Jerusalem into a pagan city. He renamed it, changed the name from Jerusalem to Elia Capitolina. Elia uh, taken from his name and, you know, the Jupiter Capitoline, the, the presence of Jupiter in the capital city of Rome. But, I mean, can, um, you, can you blame the guy? The Jews just attacked him without any provocation, and so uh, I would do the same thing. I'd turn my building efforts towards building right there. The thing Hadrian did that most impacts us 2,000 years later is that he renamed the entire fucking province of Judea, right? So it's no longer named Judea after Hadrian. It's called Syria-Palestina. Kicks all the Jews out, Palestinians move in, sets us up for 2,000 years of problems. Thanks, Hadrian. Thanks, Hadrian. We're still dealing with the shit left over from you. (laughs) Could you at least have put some intelligent people there? So the center of the Jewish religion... Oh my god. I can't believe you missed that comment. <laughs> the center well, of the I Jewish religion. Get some emails on that one. <laughs> the center of the Jewish religion moved then north into the Galilee where it remained through the Middle Ages. So 
that essentially brings us to the end of certainly the end of the second temple period uh, the rabbinic period started very shortly after that where they moved to kind of Yavne and, and, and the rabbis became scholars and the Sadducees are no more and you had to kind of move into the synagogues and into the homes rather than the, that one central temple um, but probably the Jews had to be absolutely 100% utterly devastated and shorn of any messianic hopes or any hope that they would uh, reclaim any sort of third temple or, or national heritage in order for them to, to kind of give this up and move forward into the rabbinic Judaism. Personally, I think they were just wading through the sands of time for the absolute worst time to attack once again. And that that's probably equally probable. <laughs> <laughs> They're just waiting for it to be so piled against them that nothing in history can top it. Excellent. Well, you you can't fault the Jews for trying. That's true. It's like the little engine that could they sure and did try. Really <laughs> yeah, the end of that should just be, I think I can, I think I can, and then the Romans up there, no, you really can't. And then screams of thousands of crucified victims. <laughs> well, that'll I be can't. in the passage cars of the train. <laughs> I'm seeing a beautiful children's cartoon. Absolutely. All right, um, that will wind up this podcast. I have no fucking clue what we're going to do next week. Yeah, we usually don't know till the day of anyway. So have a good one, folks. Bye.